hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is on his way. He'll be joining us shortly, but... Out Now is a film podcast where we discuss new movies weekly. However, it is October, October 2020, and that means we are going to be having our special horror bonus episodes. This is going to be a lot of fun. we got a really cool lineup of shows this year, at which you can see on our Instagram page. I put up a picture. You can see on all our pages. It's everywhere. You can see the schedule that we have. So you, you, you already know what this one is, presumably, because you don't like click on these blind. That'd be fun. Do people do that? Do people like go into podcasts and be like, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to read what the title is. I'm just going to click it and see what happens. I'd be, I'd be curious. Um, but let's do this. We're gonna, so this is our first horror special. Uh, this week we're talking diversity in horror. Uh, so we're going to get into that. We're going to, yeah, that's that's the topic. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. So let me introduce my guests here. First up, from Why So Blue and the host of the Brandon Peters Show, there's something about him finding the thing in a pitch black barbershop. It's Brandon Peters. <laughs> I thought you said division in horror. I'm going to be way off. <laughs> also joining us from Joe Blow and host of Vitty Space's Sounds Scary. Don't tell the Lords of Salem that it's Halloween for him until Dawn of the Dead. It's Jimmy O. Woohoo! Hey, guys. Welcome back. Oh, uh-huh. my God. It's been like 20 years since last year. It's been a minute, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Also joining us from Wise the Blue and founder of Flicks for Fans. Straight from the rock, say farewell to the flesh, as he's made his final plea to the Wishmaster. It's Jason Coleman. Indeed, yes. They're coming to get you, Aaron. Look, there's one of them now. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. That was I good. That. That was good. <laughs> I'm impressed. That was good. You grabbed me! <laughs> Jason grabbed me! Oh, Jesus Pull Christ. me in. I, mean, I have attention to this show now. You pull me in. That's... <laughs> Jason, glad to have you back. How are you doing? Oh, great. I, I look forward. I, you know, a lot of times I can't do these horror uh, podcasts uh, against my will, but now I get to do it. And I'm so excited. So excited about all the topics that we're covering this uh, this October. So I uh, can't wait. Yeah, very. I, I'm very excited as well. And yes, I am happy to have you here. I know it's been a little off and on in the past couple of years, but hey, you're here this time and that's great. So we're going to get into all of this along with uh, Brandon and Jimmy, of course, as well as Abe, once he finally gets here. Uh, but the idea here, as I said, we're going to talk about diversity and horror. What we're going to do is basically kind of go through a kind of a general discussion about this con- this theme, this idea for the week, and then we're going to get into a roundtable discussion where each of us have all picked around three to five films that kind of represent what we... They're, they're examples that we want to provide as far as how diversity and horror goes. Um, mm-hmm. Before I get to that, show notes... Nothing really because this is a bonus episode, but I will just mention, yes, we will be having four additional horror episodes to follow this. I will announce the next one at the end of this episode, but I'll just put out right now that this, that Psycho is celebrating its 60th anniversary, and we will be doing a commentary track for that film at the end of this month. That will be the commentary track for this month, which doubles as a horror special. So, all of that's Eagle out Martinson there. Martinson looks good for his age. Damn. I, <laughs> he's directing that. Wait, so wait, wait, was Psycho? What's that? Never heard of it. It's the one with Anne Heche? Yeah, it's oh, yeah, indie maverick, so indie maverick Gus Van Sant put together a little experimental movie. It was it was all the rage. That's what oh, Mamma Mia. <laughs> yeah, he didn't direct Mamma oh, Mia. Oh, we're talking Mamma uh, Mia today. <laughs> oh my. We God, are now. Here we Mama go again. Me. I like the sequel better though. The sequel's better. That's what I hear. All right. Yeah. Let's let's get into this. Let's let's talk about diversity in horror. Okay. <laughs> 
this is so this is somewhat of a, a follow-up to some of the episodes Abe and I have done in the past couple months uh, based off the kind of further rise of the Black Lives, Black Lives Matter movement when we had a whole episode devoted to specifically that and not even movies. And then we followed that up with our friend Marcus Robinson talking about uh, black cinema in general. So having an episode focused on diversity in horror, it's a good way to kind of get into more of the topics that have very much been present in 2020. Um, I will say that, yes, mostly this revolves around the idea of black characters in horror films, but I think there's a lot of ways to approach the concept of diversity in horror features, and I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say as far as the picks that you've provided here. But I want to kind of backtrack it, and I'll let me throw this out there right now. We will do as good as we do on this podcast talking about this topic. I will say there is a documentary called Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, mm-hmm. that's on Shudder. It is a very good documentary if you want to hear a, a, you know, a lot of filmmakers mm-hmm. and actors talk about this very topic in extreme detail and have well-researched ideas and clips and what have you it's a it's a good watch for sure do that after you listen to this show obviously because we're going to do the best job that we're going to do right now as well um oh i was going to watch shutter shutter's a cheap shutter's a really cheap app or streaming service too to check out i I would say so you get the free uh trial but stick around there's a lot there and it's not not very expensive so let me let me pose this question this way when i when i say diversity in horror i'll start with you jason because you actually you brought you brought this up as an idea which i thought was a really good idea what what sure. what do you think of when you think of the, the concept of diversity in horror i mean I, I think it's just changing ideas you know in terms of the characters and the and the themes you're you're doing in each in in a, a particular or many horror films um things that change the landscape you know make make other filmmakers inspire other filmmakers to do the same again characters storylines uh themes things like that i think and i know we're going to get into specifics but i do think that right out the bat right out the get-go for me i would say the person who is a big pioneer of this would be george romero and if you Mm -hmm. look at his first three films he cast African Americans as the lead in all three of his dead films. And it was never, re- you know, except for the first film, it sometimes it wasn't even referenced. They were just a, a regular character inside these movies, but he had leads in all three of his first, you know, uh, dead trilogy. And of course in land of the dead, the, the lead zombie was the smartest zombie mm-hmm. and an African American. So I would have to give some hands, hands up, or, you know, clapping hands to, uh, to George Romero for kind of starting something when it was, it was, wasn't, wasn't kind of the rage. And it was just, you know, something he made a choice to do well and in romero too he just cast the best actor he had yeah. no he had no prejudice he had no bias he wasn't trying to shock and all it was just the best actor and then once he was cast into it there was there were some differences he had some commentary he could have with it as well but and really he, the guy got the part because he was the best man for the job which is what i've always heard i think we've discussed this before as far as do we really think it's because it's the be- i mean yes i do think it's probably because he had the best audition he landed the part but i i can't imagine in the back of his mind he's not thinking well, there's actually something here as far as not only casting someone that's doing a very good job of what I've written for, but also I can lean into this as far as the kind of movie that I'm making. I mean, it's not it's not by accident that there's a lot of imagery and ideas and what have you that oh, of course. feeds into the social and, commentary from there. Of course, yeah. and, preju- and prejudices, like even the prejudices all of a sudden going to the zombies. It's like it, it very the the the, uh, the duality of that of that kind of stuff. But yeah, he mm-hmm. you know, he he he, he and he maintained that. Um, through all three of those films, so I, I I would give a shout out to him and say, you know, I mean, obviously there was there was some other stuff in there, you know, in that in that era, but but a, a, a somebody who pioneered it um, and and really uh, really uh, made some bold choices. For sure, and yes, I would I would not expect us not to mention George Romero, but I want to pause this for a second to uh, bring in Abe here. Abe, have you joined the call oh. now with us? I have. I'm like the uh, the party that you guys meet halfway through the horror movie. 
Where you're like, oh, there's other survivors. Uh, but then aren't those yeah, but then yeah, I don't know if I'm like time. actually the thing or not, though. So, <laughs> or or you're Betsy Palmer in Friday the Thirteenth. There this you go. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. Thank right. you. Thanks, Abe. <laughs> Glad you've made it here with us. We're we're just getting started as far as kind of going over the concept of diversity and horror. And I'll, I'll let you gather some thoughts for a second while I pivot over to Jimmy. Jimmy, what do you think of when you think of diversity and horror? Gosh, you get me mid-yawn. I'm so sorry. I'm so tired today. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you guys, yeah, it's it's expanding ideas. It's not just, look, there are so many personal stories. I, I, you know, I've been going through some Bloomhouse movies I, I can't really talk about, but they're, they're kind of pushing diversity, um, which I really respect. I there's a lot of great horror stories out that there that aren't just a bunch of white kids in a you know cabin in the woods or going you know getting stuck by a maniacal killer wearing a hockey mask. There's a lot of really interesting stories that we could tell that kind of transcend just about being you know your typical what we've seen before. And I think that's I think we're seeing it more now. I think we're starting to see it more now uh, thanks to Jordan Peele, thanks to a few other uh, filmmakers. I, I think we're starting to just, just there's more stories than what we're seeing. And I, I that's exciting to me. I'm like, I, I'd love the idea of a different kind of story or a different telling of a story that maybe adds to the world a little bit. And isn't the, you know, the very short, small world that we've already seen before. I like that. I think there's some there's some key examples we can look or if we're going to reference as we kind of get through this. But as far as what you're saying, seeing more of it now, as far as like making things into event films that revolve around this concept, yes, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. you, after yeah. when you know Get Out was a smash success, obviously with Jordan Peele, and then his follow up became this the guy that made the Oscar winning Get Out has a new film coming out. Let's turn that into a blockbuster event, and it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, and even, I mean, there's other examples. I don't want to get too far into it because we'll probably talk about this later on. But yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean as far as, yes, there have been, there, there's been various forms of diversity in horror cinema for, you know, several decades. But in terms of making it into a, for sure. a, a, a more notable quality to the point that it's incorporating it into the plot of the film to some degree. Yeah, no, that's, that's something to, that's, that's a neat aspiration to have as far as, you know, mm-hmm. filmmakers that are presumably growing up seeing these movies and want to kind of spread that around more. Um, which is, yeah. I think, it's what we're all kind of speaking to. But Brandon, I want to let you go now. What, what is, uh, what do you think of? What do you think of this concept? I just think that there's, like, kind of like Jimmy said, there's a whole vault of stories to tell, to open up, to, you know, I'm someone who likes to learn to teach, te- see different perspectives on things, different ways to tell stories with film. I mean, there's a different, you know, experience in wherever you've come up in, and that's a side I'd like to see, and I like to see what they find horrifying in life and and social concepts and stuff turned into the horror movies. And there's kind of a, I don't know, being where I am, there's a lot of different ideals and ways to think ways to take in a story. And I love seeing that. And I love seeing stuff that's not just so overdone. And there's, if you want fresh, you want new people complain about that in Hollywood, there's your door right there. You've been ignoring it for so many years and you can, freshen i mean easily freshen it up and give the opportunity and have these great new concepts of horror and teach different ways inspire other people by seeing that kind of thing it's just it there's only good that comes with it like i I hope i didn't just ramble and bamble but that's kind of what i see with it just so much opportunity so 
much to cultivate, to create, to inspire. It was intelligent rambling. I can do it with less bambling, though, so let's watch that. Though. Bambling? Okay. All okay. right. Um, Sorry. I, I kind of like the bambling, to be yeah. honest, so I, I thought I the bambling was the highlight. It's a yeah. Brandon Bamble. I'm looking forward to seeing more Bam Bamble when the Flintstones box set comes out, but that's a Right, there story. we go. Bam, bam. Bam, uh, bam. Yeah. Abe, uh, yes. c- compared to the rest of us, obviously, your, your, your horror expertise is a little less because you're, you know, a big oh, Freddy cat, obviously. Less. Um, but but no, but seriously, I, I do, you know, we've been talking about a lot of different films in recent years that we've already referenced, like the Jordan Peele films or whatnot, let alone other movies mm-hmm. that incorporate more diverse casts, I would say, that we've talked about on the yeah. show. What, what do you think of, all, you think of the All different and... kinds of clowns, Abe. Yeah, all exactly. All different you know, kinds of clowns. All, I mean, you know, there's short clowns from outer space, there's tall clowns, there's <laughs> Krang and Kodos. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff. But I, as, the take it, as the token Asian guy here, I, I'll bring in two... Uh, <laughs> A lot of really Eastern – no, I, uh, as far as diversity in horror movie goes, I think you guys have talked about it too where I don't know if like the cast varies very much. Like in American horror movies, you typically have, like Jimmy mentioned, a lot of uh, uh, white teenagers, um, maybe like a few black teenagers, and then you have all these tropes and whatever else. But what I like about diversity in horror movies, and everybody's been talking about this so far, is that thematically when you go international, it's fun to see what people are afraid of. <laughs> I mean, like, the, the example I think about is, like, I remember watching, like, the Japanese version of, like, The Eye or something, and at one point, the person who gets the transplant from the dead person, uh, they see, like, a kid who had killed himself, this, like, you know, elementary school kid was, like, um, they they were asking whether the person had seen, like, their book report or something, and I was, like, see, Asians are afraid of failing in school, so it makes sense, right? Mm. So there's all these, like, lame tropes, but... Um, I really enjoy, again, seeing kind of like the diversity in the types of horror that you see on on cinema and on the screen. But I think more importantly, when you have somebody behind the lens, um, you know, we we've talked about Jason Wan or Jason Wan. Uh, is it Jason Wan? No, nope. James Wan. James Wan. Thank you, Jason's his cousin. <laughs> he's um, got me. He's got you. Got me on the brain there, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's all good. Uh, Jason well, is the one. About, yeah, we, exactly. When you talk about James Wan, uh, we talk about James Wan a lot on this on this show, but you know, I like his brand of horror. I think that it actually mixes American and like Eastern and Western horror to some degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his stuff that's a little bit more recent, maybe less so. But overall, I think diversity in horror is it's so much more ubiquitous now because you have so many streams of access, whether that's online, whether that's like through BitTorrent or, or some other some other method. I'm a huge fan of like people checking things out. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm big on like international stuff. Um, and like as far as like U.S. horror goes, if we're gonna if we're gonna focus there a little bit more, like I think it's 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 starting to become a little bit more interesting too because it's it's also becoming more weird. Um, so if you thought if you want to talk mm-hmm. about like genre bending, like you know you have stuff like I, I guess you could consider Mother maybe a horror movie, but then you also have something like um, more recently. Um, all of the Ari Aster films, right? So, wait, wait, Mother? Or are you talking about Mother? Yes, you, sorry. I forgot. Sorry. I forgot that's what we do here. Yeah, yeah. What, one's yeah, a Bong Joon-ho like, film. The other has an explanation oh, yes. point. Exactly. Let, me, let, me move the, let me move the mic away. Mother! Okay. <laughs> that's uh, it. That's the one. Uh, a yeah, like, little lower. That's what I was like. I was like, Hold on, let me try that for Brandon. A little lower on the M. It's lowercase. Yeah, yeah. Are you all right in there? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, diversity is great for for all things, but specifically horror, I find it super fascinating. 
yeah, you know, you you mentioned James Wan, and yeah, beyond mm -hmm. there's I obviously agree. some. We mentioned like Jordan Peele before, obviously. Behind the camera, there's obviously a lot of diversity and horror that's happened as well. I mean, and that's something I'm sure we could probably get to as we reference some of these films. But there's yeah. a good handful of directors I can name offhand that, you know, contribute to the idea of even if it's a story revolving around white characters, you can still have various people of different backgrounds directing the films on screen. Something oh, like yeah. something like Crimson Peak comes to mind where you have Guillermo del Toro directing a Victorian era gothic horror film in a haunted house featuring the the whitest actors you know, Tom Hiddleston, Mio Wasikowska, and uh, Jessica Chastain, so, and Charlie Hunnam. It's safe on makeup, <laughs> so. though. They're very pale already. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, they walked to set they had to tone them down. Yeah. They're, they're ruining the cameras. <laughs> they're too white. <laughs> Okay, uh, so let's. I had a powder vision right there. Let's uh, let's get to um, <laughs> <laughs> let's get to uh, let's get to our, our picks here. So you know, just kind of get into to more of the weeds and stop being vague about what movie we're trying to talk about. Uh, what I'm going to do is basically just kind of name you guys off in a round robin, and you'll kind of name one of the films that you have. And um, we'll oh, kind of, we're, we'll, we're supposed we'll, to come up with films. <laughs> We'll just uh, we'll, we'll go around. We'll have our discussion. We'll do what we can. Off the here. dome, Jimmy. And I'm I'm gonna be sure to I'm gonna be sure to take notes on all these so I have the list. So when you listeners at home listen here and you hear movies that you might be intrigued by or what have you, I will be able to post those lists of films into the post for this podcast and on the webs and on the Facebook page and all that. So you know you can keep track of which movies we're talking about. And if you you know feel so uh, d intrigued to uh, you know follow up on that and you know see some of these movies, you'll you'll not be at a loss for what they are you don't have to go back to this podcast to find out uh yeah i i try to do that every year because we have these I, I i have it all in my doc here like i have lists of these great horror movies all of all these topics we've talked about so it's uh it's it's always really fun to have this nice collection of like what if we want to do a marathon anyway i'm just going to do this in the way i see it on my screen right now brandon i'm going to start with you what's the first movie on your list uh i'm going to point out uh phantasm three uh has uh gloria lynn henry as a character named rocky and she is the, um, as far as I could find, the first um, black heroine not to die in a horror film. Like a strong hero. Not just like girlfriend or something like that. But she's a, she's a tough cookie. Holds her own in the film. Isn't treated like a... Uh, well, you know, there's Reggie Bannister's character who's a dirtbag. But <laughs> a lot of the times yeah. in those movies. But she, she fends off on her... Uh, she holds her own. Has a lot of cool action sequences. Um, with it and then she survives through she doesn't come back until the fifth one they didn't bring her back for the fourth one but that was a fourth one was kind of a low budget use a lot of old footage kind of movie but that's what i have for my my first one starting there but she's a notable character brandon as yeah. you know we like to have full titles on these episodes is it just phantasm, phantasm 3 phantasm lord 3? of the dead thank you okay <laughs> <laughs> phantasm i i i colon Lord of the Dead. <laughs> or no, Don Coscarelli's, or Don Coscarelli apostrophe S, Phantasm, I, 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 colon, Lord of the Dead. You see, Brandon's, Brandon's working from that, always a gigantic, enormous, like, like amazing set. So he just grabs the next, <laughs> the next disc on the rack, man. I'm like, yeah. He's, it's he's got, still he's wrong, got, though, yeah. because it's Lee Daniels' Phantasm Three, Lord of the Dead. Oh. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. Jimmy, let's go to you. What's what's the next film on your list? Or what's the first film on your list? Oh, well, hold on. <laughs> uh, uh, um, the first film on my list... Sorry, I got a call. I had to uh, turn it off. The first film on my list... I, I, 
you know, it, this is a, I debated whether I should start with this one because I know it's not a popular film for a lot of people, but I really was moved by it. As you know, I did a whole freaking sound scary episode about it is Antebellum. I, I, I mm. here's the thing. I, I had heard a lot of a lot of people like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, my God, this was really powerful. This is really moving. And then I saw the reviews. And I was just like, wait, did I see a different movie than the rest of the critics did? And and to be honest, I, I watched it again and I liked it even more. I think it's a powerful movie. I think it's uh, obviously you're dealing with slavery. You're dealing with something that's br- brutal and horrendous and awful. And you have Janelle Monet freaking kills it in that movie. Kersey Clemens. Um, I, I, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And I, 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 I really respect both uh, George uh, Gerard Bush and uh, Christopher Renz for trying to tell a story and, and kind of show you a part of history and kind of take down Gone with the Wind and the, oh, the beautiful South and, oh, how lovely it was. Oh, look at all our people working for us. It it, it really kind of, and they even use the actual filters. They, they burn them down to shoot it to make it look like Gone with the Wind. And I I think it's such a powerful movie. I'm glad, I think, I think it's doing fairly well. I'm glad people are checking it out because I think it's an important film. I mean, I, I really do. And I, I think it's going to be one that uh, will, in a few years, I think people will look back on it and go, yeah, no, that was, they were really trying to say something. And I, I really love the movie. Yeah, Abe and I talked about that uh, with our friend Marcus Robinson a few weeks ago now at this point for the main show. And you know that I, I, I am a fan of Antebellum. I, I think it has mm-hmm. some some issues, but I do overall, I thought it was just a, while tackling a, you know, some heavy subject matter, I think making it a, into a kind of a a horror ride with this kind of mind-bending aspect to it, uh, I I did I did find a lot to, to appreciate about that. But in mm-hmm. terms of like having Bush and Wrens telling a very distinct story set in a kind of a horror atmosphere, that certainly aligns with exactly what we're trying to talk about today. I mean, it's doing yeah it's trying to do something unique in the realm of horror is difficult as that may be for some to comprehend as far as the kind of things that are taking place there. Uh, yeah, really, it was a really interesting experience. And I've, like I said, I've seen it twice. I'll be watching it again. It's, it's a powerful movie. It really moved me. I can't comment on it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, How dare you? We definitely will now based on Jimmy's uh, recommendation. Jimmy's going to have all these movies he's seen and aren't out yet. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> there, there are, there's one I don't think I can talk about, which I would be perfect for this conversation. Is it the one really that you directed, Jimmy? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, no, no, God, no. It's uh, a friend of mine did, but it's uh, it's um, I'm, it's, a, it's a good one. I had a lot of fun with it, yeah. so uh, I can't talk about that yet. Abe, <laughs> hey, let's go to you. What's the first film on your list? You know, this I, I don't know if I would classify this necessarily as a horror because I think it's kind of like offbeat sci-fi weird. Um, but again, it's an international film. It's City of Lost Children. I, oh, ooh, sure. Good one. I'm a fan yeah. of like this movie because, first of all, it's French, and so I also consider myself kind of Frenchy because my parents and a lot of my siblings were born in France. Um, so I, what, what I find fascinating about this movie you're, is You're a Francophile, that, like Leonardo DiCaprio and Django and Exactly. Jane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, bonjour. Um, bonjour. Yeah. Uh, there goes the baker with this tray like always. Um, I am a big fan of the way that it is weird, but also the way that it opens up with like three Santa Clauses coming out of the chimney and like the kids crying and, 
Uh, and then like the guys crying and then you see Dominic Pignon, like three of him. It, it's, it's very odd and off putting. And it's like thematically it's dark. Um, and I, when I watched it as like a kid, I was like, what am I watching? I'm kind of scared, but I'm also very curious what's going on here. And then this guy goes on to direct like Amelie and you're just like, Oh, well, I guess he just likes weird things. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, city flash children is, um, it's one that I would put on the list. Oh, very cool. It's a great movie. I'm a big fan of that movie. And yeah, it, it it's been a minute, but I mean, the things that they're, the reason that there's a city of lost children has, yeah, I think, some various ramifications involving the kind of society that people live in, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason, mm-hmm. let's uh, jump to you. What's the first one on your list? Uh, I go back to 1995 for the film Tales from the Hood. Yes! Um, <laughs> you know, for me, what what I loved about it was, of course, you could go heavy-handed, but what, what I liked what Rusty Cundiff did was he he absolutely put, you know, social issues and, and issues of race, you know, into a movie called Tales from the Hood, but he made it fun. So it was, it was definitely poignant, but it was fun. So just like a lot of the anthology movies you saw, you know, that did have maybe a, a, a moral story or whatever, or, you know, comeuppance for the, for the, you know, the bad acts or whatever. Um, it still was fun. So, cause I did watch the sequel and it was a little too nail on the, like hitting the nail on the head for me, uh-huh. but that original is so good. So yeah, of mm-hmm. course, Spike Lee also executive produced it. First story was about dirty cops, you know, police corruption. Um, and you got a great, you know, uh, uh, um, undead, uh, Tom Wright coming back as an undead guy. And of course he was the hitchhiker in creep show too, you know, who, thanks for the ride lady. Second one was about, <laughs> yeah, so good. But again, it, it deals with, you know, police corruption. Uh, the second story was about a monster, but it was more about domestic abuse, but you know, total in a monster forum with david allen greer of all people playing kind of he's awesome in that yeah yeah Dag. So, uh, yeah. Dag. Uh, exactly. yeah um uh, uh you know story about you know uh institutional racism you know with corbin yes. burnson playing a, a oh yeah racist senator who sets up office in an old slave plantation and of right. course these these dolls these animated dolls of the souls of the tortured slaves you know kind of come after him so that's a great story there mm-hmm. and then one called drive-by which is almost reminded me a little bit about you know a character's kind of almost forced clockwork orange style to confront his demons from his past um and again all four of these stories you know all with some very strong um uh you know uh, racial morals um you know uh, and you know really good stuff and, and clarence williams the third of course plays the mortuary uh you know kind of storyteller the guy who helms it all and it's just it's it's poignant it's 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 very telling but it's 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 a ton of fun so i loved how rusty was able to keep both of those balls in the air keep it so that it's not just fluffy that it really does have a poignant side but it's fun as hell so that original one the original tales from the hood 1995 great flick yeah i know there's a third one on the way as well what the sequel like i the sequel like i said it was a little too there's the sequel there's a there's a third one coming out I'm oh, with you on that, Jason. I, I had to stop after, like, the first vignette. Yeah. I was like, okay. Because it wasn't really that much fun either. Like, it was poignant, but then all the fun stuff was taken out. And I think that first one, it had a great balance. Mm-hmm. Well, and sadly, the first one still holds up quite well. I got it yes. for the when Scream Factory did, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is way too still relevant. No, I know. <laughs> sadly. Um, I'm going to try to say in chronological order when I get to the zero. I'm going to just jump to, I mean, we already talked a little bit about Night of the Living Dead. Um, that might still come up. I don't know. You guys do what you want to do. I'm going to talk about <laughs> Dawn of, I'm going to talk about Dawn of the Dead with Ken Foree mm. as the, uh, the lead there. Um, it's, you know, it's my favorite zombie movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, the, 
the work there compared to Night of the Living Dead, like it's dialing down a little bit, like, uh, you know, as far as he's more of the heroic lead along with other companions that are all like accepting of each other, where the first one is very much, you know, you, you, you have one man who's trying to say all the rules and others are just not agreeing with what he's going along, where at least making it very difficult for him until they don't. Um, Dawn of the Dead, less about that. Although the opening of that film, I mean, you do have, you know, police forces storming into a, you know, an, an apartment complex full of, you know, people of color, essentially, and dealing with the zombie outbreak that's occurred there, which, I mean, the movie, you know, it plays more like a comic book as far as the kind of the look of the film and the style of how it's directed compared to, like, Night of the Living Dead. That said, you have some potent imagery going on there in those, in those early scenes before you even get to the mall where the real, you know, the deeper social commentary going rolling around consumerism and what have you goes, which is less focused on race and more about kind of the position of people have of material in their life, let alone economic disparity, especially by the time the, the bikers get involved or what have you. But I mean, in terms of having a, a well-rounded cast that just happens to involve people of color. I mean, it's a movie that nails it on all those fronts as well as not shying away from, some of the ugly things that people have to do during a time of crisis, such as a zombie apocalypse. Um, so it, yeah, no, it, I mean, Dawn of the Dead's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> so it's, there, there's not much I can complain about with that film. So as far as addressing the things that it does really well. Yeah. Once again, George Romero has his foot right there on the door saying, Hey, I have some ideas here that be extend beyond just making a, you know, a fun horror movie. And so I, you know, like Jason said, applause for him for that, as well as just, yeah, great job in the movie. It's, it's a fantastic classic. Mm -hmm. I remember Ken, I remember seeing an interview with Ken where he talked about how he was a big fan of Dwayne Jones for the first film and uh -huh. how he really would have loved to have played that role. And so when that role came up in Dawn, he was like, oh, I want that. So, <laughs> yes, seeing giant Ken Foree come in. <laughs> like, why aren't you listening to me? We're listening to you guys. <laughs> um, all right, well let's uh, let's circle back around here, Brandon. What's the uh, what's the next film you got going? Not so much film, but I wanted to focus uh, on. I was yeah yeah. Uh, so Jimmy O made this film a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, that's not what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I, I was like, really? Yeah. I was like, oh yeah. wow. I was looking through all the uh, the horror the major horror franchises and trying to look for people like hel helming them. And whatnot, and the only instances in the in the big league ones, I'm sure maybe there's some smaller ones that on go or whatever, but in the majors, your your Elm Streets, Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, uh, you know Chucky, all that. Mm -hmm. The only time they've hired a non like white dude director, it has been uh, Nightmare on Elm Street did it with Freddy's Dead with Rachel Talalay, mm -hmm. and even she had to earn her stripes to get up to that. Like, and she, 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 she beat Peter Jackson out for the job because of she had been with the Elm Street since the beginning, like doing every job. You know, we can say what we want about Freddie's dead. Um, she's actually directed some stuff on the the in the Peter Capaldi era of Doctor Who, where the, that's had some weird dream sequence stuff where I'm like, man, she'd be perfect for it now. Like she's mm. done some mind trippy stuff that I'm like, OK, she's definitely got that Elm Street stuff in her. Give her some money. She could pull it off easily. Uh, but aside from her, uh, you have Ronnie Yu with Bride of Chucky and Freddy vs. Jason, Jason, and that's it. Yeah. That's it. They are all like white, or maybe some like French white dude. But um, yeah, that's 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 all I could I could di I dug through Texas Chainsaws, all of them. It's all that's it. That's that's one guy on two jobs, 
and a woman on another, and both of, and two out of three have Freddy. So Freddy's, a, I guess, the diverse slasher guy, barely. Uh, well, he does. He does say that one line in uh, in Friday, Freddy vs. Jason, dark meat, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How sweet, dark oh. meat. Yeah. Uh, but well, Friday yeah. the Thirteenth has Reggie the Reckless. So come yeah, on, there you go. Five, he didn't man. direct it. I was... It is in it though. <laughs> Reggie the Reckless. Yeah. That's all but, I have to say. But yeah, so I was looking at the the franchise like, and that's hella small percentage going through all of them. I went through Candyman's. I went. I was trying to find one notable that maybe had something sneak up to try to bolster it. But that's this is it. Mm. Is there a three, pick there? three jobs, two people? <laughs> is, there, huh? just, is there a pick there in mind or? Just no, the, that's why that's my thing was just a general just pre- overview of directing in hor- uh, major franchise horror mm-hmm. that it's just pointing out how lack of diverse. Uh, we do have Candyman coming, but it's not don't out take, at the time. Don't take this two more times, though. Candyman? Is that what yeah! you were talking about, Abe? Candyman. Candyman. I would, I, would Candyman. Say, I would say not a huge franchise, but um, Ernest Dickerson, who started out as a cinematographer, um, mm-hmm. did go on to direct uh, the first of the um, uh, the uh, Tales from the Crypt movies, yeah. Demon Knight. So oh, okay. I would, I would put some, and I know he did a bunch of The Walking Dead as well. So yeah. I would give some hats off to Ernest Dickerson. The way yes. Okay. Done. Very true. I hear what you're saying, though, Brandon. As far as yes, the major slasher franchise. I didn't pick have... a film. I'm sorry, but I thought that was an interesting. No, it is. No, I, I like it. I was just trying to. I wanted to type down what you're going for, <laughs> so I typed down <laughs> three: the Freddy's Dead and Freddy Chucky and Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, okay. Jim, Jimmy, let's uh, let's hear from you. What's next here? Well, weirdly enough, I guess that kind of leads in because I will talk about Candyman because yes, it's directed by Bernard, Rose, but you know, and obviously Virginia Madsen is the lead. But you have Vanessa Williams. You have all the Tony Tony Todd. You have all these interesting stories revolving about around Caprini Green and all these. These poor got poor people that are living there, basically forgotten by the government. This is a smart film, and it tackled racism, it tackled racial issues, racial justice in a really interesting way. I, I rewatched recently, and I was just it made me more excited for the remake because I do think you kind of you don't kind of you feel bad for Candyman. He was fucked over. He was, and I like that story, and I like that it kind of made him a heroic villain if you know what i'm saying it's just it's a beautiful film it holds up really well and i i really gosh i can't wait for the remake of that man i really can't i i wish i could we've gotten to see it before uh you know right i've long long argued it's one of the greatest horror films ever made so you got my i'm in your court beautiful horror film the score is phenomenal it's beautifully shot I think I, I absolutely agree. I think it's an intelligent horror film. I think it was doing what a lot of films today are doing well before, you know, I, what, 20, 20 some odd years, 30 years, 30 years. Yeah. It, 30 years. Yeah. It, it, it's a phenomenal film. It still holds up. I was a kid it's when I saw it. I couldn't scary. go in the bathroom it's at still... night. <laughs> I, that movie scared the pit. Like it's one of the movies that has scared me the most throughout my life like that movie scared the hell out of me 
I think one of the interesting things about that film uh, um, that also pertains to our topic is that the original short story by Clive Barker, The Forbidden from the Books of Blood, wasn't even had nothing to do with with yeah. the topic that right. it was actually revolved around the British class system um, in contemporary Liverpool. And so they changed, you know, uh, Bernard Rose changed it to uh, to deal with Chicago and focus on race and social class in the inner city. And then all that backstory on on uh, on Daniel Robitaille. That was all Tony Todd because he went to the you know Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd and he said, hey, you know, flesh this stuff out. You guys create your own backstory. And so we can thank Tony Todd for a lot of that back creating mm-hmm. a lot of that backstory, um, you know, uh, from the 19th century and stuff. And you know yeah. what? They did that back then and it was fine. No one cared. You imagine today there'd be some a-hole group yeah. like they're, they're changing a story I didn't know was there till now. And I'm mad like that's, <laughs> that's what we get now. Back then it was just like fine yeah well regardless candy man is just a classic i mean it exactly what you're saying brandon is why i mean it's just a, it's a fantastic mm-hmm. film all around it's one of the best slasher movies in my mind i mean it's, it's would you say it's the best thing from clive barker the rest of you i i mean that yeah, has I, his name on it i i, I mean i like it that i like night, it more and, i like it more than everything than he, yes, than he I would read. say especially the director cut yeah the director yeah, I agree. I think those are my favorite. I, I'm not as big on Nightbreed as you guys are, so it's like... And, Both I mean, versions? <laughs> I, I, I've, I've seen them. <laughs> I have them. Like, I'm not against Nightbreed. It's just Candyman's just on another level for me. Uh, Midnight yeah, Train is Candyman pretty is, high, is, but, is pretty... <laughs> Candy, I, I would say Candyman's a better film. All, in, all, in all, it is a better film, but Nightbreed has a lot of fun. And you got that Philip Glass score. I mean, just so many things. Oh, like Candyman are just so wonderful. But just like the, it's so chilling. Just saying, Candyman is chilling. Like, stop saying that. Take that, Sammy Davis. <laughs> Candyman. <laughs> Did you imagine Candyman. it was Clowny Man? Clowny Man. Clowny Man. Candyman. Jimmy, are those bees by your head? I can't yeah, tell. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, ah, 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 ah. And I mean to go. To keep on this track a little bit, I mean uh-huh. the sequel, the first sequel, Candy, the uh, Farewell to the Flesh, Farewell to, to the, the Flesh, flesh. Yeah. Candyman like, Colon, it's great a, title. Lee Daniels Candyman Two, Farewell to the Flesh. It's a it's a solid sequel. I mean it, I it, it it's not it's not, right, a, it's not uh, as yeah. it's not as good as Candyman, but I mean as far as yeah, it's, right. as far as it's in the Jaws Two area where it's like, well, we're doing mm-hmm. more of this, I guess, but it doesn't like it doesn't embarrass the first movie. It feels like, oh, okay, we actually did something decent out of that. But it gives you more Tony Todd's backstory. That's what's really yeah. key there. Like, it gives you a lot more of what's going on with, you know, the Candyman. We don't need to talk about the third Candyman, one. Candyman, Dave the Dead, yeah. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that one. But oh, uh, no, I, but I very much am looking forward to uh, Nia DaCosta's Candyman because... Oh, yeah. And, and everything I've seen so far, specifically in that... Remember that, what, a few months ago, like that shadow puppety yeah. that they put out, which was really cool? Uh, that just that's just great info that the film's not going to shy away from the fact that yes it's 2020 and we're still very dealing very much dealing with the issues that Candyman was dealing with back then and I'm, I'm very glad that she and Jordan Peele have worked together to make a film that's going to not only just be a cool new version of Candyman but be one that reflects society the way that Candyman was trying to reflect society so there's a lot there to look forward to that I'm very excited about I wish I mean obviously circumstances have changed but obviously it would have been great to be able to talk about that film you know around now but things are as they are but we can still and, praise and, uh, candy man yeah and hats off to to, hats off hats off to tony todd man i mean who yeah. who who it, it was so great through all of those films that he is not he's still candy man 
here in yeah. two, here in the next version of Candy Man, he's still playing Daniel Robitaille. So, uh, you know, great stuff, man. And and we also get him for those who don't remember, we get him as a treat in Final Destination films as Death. So, yeah, of course. There you go. Oh. Yeah. Of course. There you go. <laughs> um, Abe, let's go on to you. What's yes. the next film that you have? You know, the next movie I have is another kind of sci-fi movie. These aren't all going to be sci-fi. It's just more that I, I remember watching as a kid and I was freaked out by it. It's uh, it's Akira. So the way that I view this is that it's anime. You don't really typically like see a lot of... Uh, you do see horror in anime, but again, when I'm thinking about diversity, and then we'll get to like other types of uh, diverse horror movies, but um, you know, anime is a great way for you to really get your vision across because you can do whatever you want with it, right? So when I'm watching Akira and like there's like weird people floating, this old eight-year-old kid-looking guy, and then like the score of like just voices in harmony and chorus, um, and then like you know people getting smashed with like because this body's growing out of control kind of thing, I was freaked out by it. And also as a as a kid when I saw it when I it was like 1997 when I saw it or maybe 95. I was afraid of Neo Tokyo, Neo Tokyo. You know, I was afraid of the future that they were presenting, right? So it, it's very fascinating just the way that anime can take a different uh, leap uh, in in uh, the horror genre. But again, sci-fi anime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Know, like I could, there's there's certainly hell horror. I mean, I oh, feel like sure. Akira, let alone others I can think of. I mean, there's a lot of horror imagery that goes on in those films, especially when you have like a blob monster being formed from technology. Not my favorite, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, just, <laughs> just to just to backtrack a bit because you mentioned it now, Final Destination came up. James Wong, Wong is the director of the first and third Final Destination, as far as horror franchises go. Uh, Brandon, getting back to your point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And who wrote yeah. it? Uh, I did. Who wrote Final? Yeah, Destination? no, Jeffrey Re- Jeffrey Reddick. Mm. Jeffrey Reddick. Okay. Yeah. So, so there you go. There's there's a there's an ongoing. So there's franchise three that, now. Yeah, there's awesome. three now. <laughs> <laughs> We did it, guys. We named him. Jason, let's, uh, let's go to you. What's what's next? Uh, I don't know. All of mine will be you know, the, you know, the same ilk, but uh, I have to mention this one just because I, uh, it's significance. I think the Blade series, especially starting yeah. with the original Blade in 1998, oh, yeah. is a really good, good example because w- that was at a time when not only Marvel movies were being made, but Marvel movies with an African-American lead. And so uh, what's interesting is if you go back and sort of look at the history, Snipes had originally wanted to do Black Panther. Yeah. So he was trying to get Black Panther off the uh, off the ground and everybody thought he was nuts. Um, so, you know, he was working with Bob Shea, New Line Cinema and uh, saw the thing of Blade, you know, from Marvel. It was comics in 1973 and, and decided to do that instead. And it's 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 a real testament not only to um, having, a you know, an African-American lead in a, in a in a comic book movie, but but a lead in a movie period, you know, of that of that caliber. Um but uh, but and, and and really interesting because just a year before um, Spawn came out from mm-hmm. Bob Shea and New Line Cinema with and Michael Jai White right with Michael Jai White and that but that movie didn't do well so a, a regular studio might have done the the stupid thing and went oh we're not going to make any more of these kinds of movies but they pushed ahead and they made Blade and Blade turned out to be I think one of Wesley Snipes' best pieces of work you know oh, when I sure. saw mm-hmm. it, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and so again it it it. Uh, a real testament to, to I think Bob Shea and New Line Cinema to have the spirit to do that movie and uh, 
um, great work. And and then you got sequels. You got Blade Two with Guillermo del Toro helming it. Um, and then not as great, but Blade Trinity, uh, which there was it, also a TV series that spun off. Sticky was. fingers, sticky Killing fingers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think it was you know it was really it was really groundbreaking of Wesley to 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 want to go after something like that he was pretty hot off of coming off of you know some of those movies uh, demolition man and you know all of that stuff and yeah. and to 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 really hone in on black panther i thought was fascinating but then you know because everybody kind of couldn't see the uh, the, the 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 potential of it to go with blade i think was great too so i think well, he really i think he really did start that started that trend before it was popular and uh, and groundbreaking and awesome. And you point point something out too, Jason. Not not uh, not quality wise, but with Spawn, Blade, and you also had Steel, which had Shaq as a yeah, right, right, right. like right in the same little couple year right. window. Yeah, it's much much like most things uh, <laughs> that happen in life. It's you know the black man does something and then the white men take the better credit for it with like X Men <laughs> and Spider Man yeah. years later and they're like, see, yeah. we did it. We did it first, guys. We are the ones. Um, <laughs> But uh, a, a couple things. First, on on Wesley Snipes, if Black Panther two doesn't feature him as the villain, they're not doing things right because that yeah. makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like that seems like a no brainer. Like, who do we get to be the villain in Black Panther two? What's Wesley Snipes up to? Like, that just makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> as far as Blade goes, yeah, I mean, I like I like Blade two more, but I I can certainly acknowledge that the iconography of the opening of Blade is unmatched as far as oh yeah goes i mean so you know, just the introduction yeah. to this world this blood rave and then you know decked in black sunglasses walks in with this like you know swords and all this stuff and just does his blade thing it's you know there's 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 little better than that when it comes to how do you introduce a, a hero on screen it's like mm-hmm. well blade <laughs> like an iconic example of that it's wonderful and then, i remember yeah, yeah leaving the theater that night was just like i was elated i was like that was awesome like i didn't it expect get, it, it to leaves be you on awesome. such a high cool. it leaves you on such yeah. a high with that film as far as like you don't think i forgot about you did you like it's just that kind of thing and he's in russia right and the techno music's blaring it's like no one walks out of blade thinking well that wasn't fun like it's, it now, does the job how many of you guys or how many people did you call daywalkers after you watched this movie you're just I like i still man. call people daywalkers <laughs> <laughs> all i'm trying to emphasize i was like going vampires <laughs> all of their strengths none of their weaknesses yeah. <laughs> and i mean if you want to talk about diversity i mean the the sequel it plays a lot with that as far as what del toro is doing and goyer are doing with the script in that story as far as mm-hmm the villains or or the, and even just the people that they're like testing it's taking like the poor and the and people that are disparaged versus like you know a rich white corporation that's making super serums for vampires or whatever they're doing like there's there's a lot of things that are going on like beneath the surface there wait hold on i gotta take notes on this super serum yeah. series vampires. so bored uh, so bold they kill chris christopherson twice yeah <laughs> your name has two chrises in, the, in it you gotta you gotta do it twice but was he on the soundtrack <laughs> He should have been. Should've That's been. The, yeah. Oh yeah. Should've like been. that should have been like the the credits for Blade Trinity. It's like, oh, I found a track from Whistler, and he's like playing the guitar acoustic over the credits. <laughs> well, in the third one, he's like, hey. well, Blade, well, Blade, I'm not in the d- key demo anymore. I gotta go. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Got Somehow fun. in here. Two two thousand two was fine for Chris Christopherson, but two thousand four, the kids really aged out of him at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Blade, if you can't fun tell, we're getting moved out. Guys, I saw. Chris Christopherson in concert a year ago. Oh. It was a it was a really cool show. It was actually really cool. Good. Like, Y'all remember Blade? It. it was neat. 
What yeah, he didn't talk game? about what Blade. I have no Blade, Blade, Blade. No. Thing, yeah. <laughs> nice. No, no, no. no. How big is his beard right is. now? Is it Jimmy O beard <laughs> or is it like ZZ Top beard? He was. Uh, no, no. He looked like he looked like a very, very older. He looked old. I mean, he you know he didn't he didn't even sing the whole show. He had um, I think Waylon Jennings on band with him, so it was like. They kind of mix the vocals a little bit, but you know what? He's 80, I think it's 84 or something, and he's still on stage playing and sounding good. Sounding yeah, good, man. His life. I, I, I was, yeah, I, I respect that guy. I like him. Jason hates him. That's weird. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm a big Chris Christopherson. Uh, what, what was the What was the one he did with Cheryl Ladd? Millennium. I guarantee you, none mm-hmm. of you have seen that one. Oh, I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't good. Good, but I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> to um to get back to things, I'm gonna go with my next pick here. To speak on we we we've been speaking on diversity in in horror films, largely related to like how it's directly addressed in the film. Um, the one I'm picking now, it's it's not really a factor in it. It's just more happenstance. It's Anaconda, uh, which is a it's a creature feature, a '90s creature feature that just happens to star Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube in lead roles. There's never any you know deal made about the fact that that's happened. It's just like yeah, these are among the members of, and of course John Voight as some kind of South American person, I guess. Um, but but um, <laughs> a, a weird South American person. Uh, but but regardless, I mean that that is a film where. It's doing all the same stuff a horror movie does. It just does. There's no need to call attention to this fact. Yes, Ice Cube is a character that's from the hood, uh, as he as he very much directly references. But the film never makes a you know any kind of deal about the fact that you have, you know, Jennifer Lopez or Ice Cube as characters. It's just no. That's just the people that are starring in this movie. Uh, I also happen to just really enjoy Anaconda. I think it's a fun throwback creature feature that does its job. I watched it not too long ago. Yeah. I think it does pretty well as far as mix of practical effects and the CG I don't think is that egregious in that movie as far as things go like that for the mid-90s. Really? That was, a, that was egregious back then. No, no, not really. I mean, there's like one or two shots where you're I'm like, I'm not yeah, a fan right. of that movie. <laughs> there's one or two shots where it's like, but yeah, hey. that's obvious, but I don't, I don't think it goes out of its way to be like, look how bad this is compared to other 90s horror movies that have CG in them, because there are very, some very key examples I can go with. On Fair that. enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> anyway, there's my shout out to Anaconda. Let's move on. Brandon, what's next for you? Uh, next for me, I'm going to, I guess we haven't touched on this yet, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go with something I talked about recently, but it's pertinent here if you want a film to reference, but the guy's career has plenty of examples of this, but um, Dario Gento's Bird with the Crystal Plumage, it begins, it, it's his first film, but right from the get-go, he treats um, gays and trans people as just, you know, regular without like calling them out. Or anything else. Like he had a determination to include them in his cast and his worlds as just your common everyday people. And in Bird with the Crystal Plumage, he has a art shop keep person who's just he's a gay man, but that's that's just it. I mean, you can kind of tell, but he doesn't like call it out. And there's another scene where there's a criminal lineup, and they're like, "Bring out the perverts," and they have a transvestite come out, and the guy goes, "Hey, hey, no, 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 that." He's not a pervert, it's a transvestite. Get him out of here. Or whatever. So he's saying, like, hey, they're not perverts. They're, you know, just transvestite. They're people. But they're people. But uh, through, like, uh, Tanabra and things like that, he's always had um, gay characters, trans characters in his movies, but not in a exploitative way. And 
just as normal people being involved in the plot and just allowed to just be without being called out. That's just who they are. And uh, but he starts out with Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Given where we're going with this later conversations i'm sure we'll hear more about that film among others in the argento canon right uh, later on oh, in yeah. october but yeah no good yes. good call on that because yes argento certainly i have noticed that in the you know the experience i've had with some of his films it's it it, it has been apparent to me that it's like oh yeah he, he is kind of a all-around like equal opportunity kind of film director which mm-hmm. yeah good on him um jimmy mm-hmm. what's your next film well so the, here's my question i could give you a film that uh hasn't come out yet oh god it's coming out in a couple of weeks and I, I i have i have permission from the guy who wrote it to talk about and the guy i directed to talk about but it is it's absolutely fitting for this discussion it comes out in october it's called don't look back don't look and back it's, uh, don't look back and you have uh, a group of people something tragic happens to the lead character who's black by the way, uh, Courtney, Be- Courtney Bell, I believe is her name. I got to look that up. Courtney Bell. Hold on. I'm going to look that up right now while we're speaking. Uh, it, so you basically have these characters. Courtney Bell is a lead and she's she's kind of a new actress. Uh, she hasn't done a lot, but um, something bad happens. Her, something very tragic happens in the beginning of the film. And then she's so deal- dealing with that PTSD. So her and a group of people end up in the park one day, just normal, you know, they're walking around and somebody gets brutalized, beaten in front of all of them. And what do they do? They watch and they one guy films it. And it, it's about what happens to them after the film. And it it's an interesting mix of like, first of all, the people that are watch, they're all different races. There's all different kind of colors here. Uh, and and again, you have a lead. The lead is a black character. It's written by a black. You know, Jeffrey is black. He wrote wrote and directed. But it what's interesting about it, it never really talks about racial injustice. It's more of a what's interesting is they talk a lot about religion, but not in a ooh you need to believe in your religion if you don't believe in this. It's a very interesting film. It's not really a straight up horror film in the sense that it's. You know, he didn't go Final Destination. It's not bloody and gory, but it's such an interesting film because it treats it like these are people. And that's kind of how it should be. You know, this is just a person that happens to be in the situation that happens to have dealt with a tragedy that happens to deal with this modern tragedy. She happens to be a person of color. And I, I, I really like the film and I really like what he did with it. I really, it's a fascinating story. It's a, you know, it's a low budget film and, but there's something about it. It's something really special. And I, I, I love seeing, I, I like seeing a little diversity in the sense that when it's not just, this is part of life, because it is part of life. You know, it's not, we're not all, we don't all look the same. We don't all feel the same. We don't all think the same. And I, it, it's a really interesting movie. It comes out in a couple weeks and I do recommend people look, it's a good halloween pick and a really interesting movie it's a lot of fun i'll keep that in mind don't look back yeah abe what's the next film you have the next one that i have is uh, a nice little movie that we did commentary for not too long ago maybe actually maybe it was a while ago um but it's from west craven it's the people under stairs and what i like about this movie a lot is that a aaron is right it's not like an, it's not a slasher 
Um, so I was able to watch it without having to hide behind my fingers. Um, and then B is actually a movie where there's the kid that the protagonist here is a, a, a black child. You know what I mean? And what are we watching in this movie? We're watching a family that lives in the projects that don't like living in the projects that are trying to get out of it. His sister is really helpful in like, Hey, don't fall and succumb to like all these like lame pressures around you. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to like get money so that his, uh, is it his, his grandfather um, can have some surgery. Right. And what is this movie? It's just, this is a movie where you find out that white people are fucking weird. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah. I was, I was like, you know, we, we find that in, in a lot of other movies, too. Like, Get Out is a great example of, like, white people being weird. This is an ultra-weird white person movie. Like, at one point, when the, the dad is, like, wearing, like, um, S&M stuff with a shotgun. And it's just like, you know, what do we... And, and I also like how they also play on the stereotypes of, of white versus black, right? And what I mean by this is, like, when the cops come through, okay, great, what are we going to do? let's uh, give them some cookies. Don't let them get too suspicious. And we'll play the victim card here as the white family. Like, you know, and I was like, Oh, this is, this is Brandon. You said it earlier. Like there's actually a lot of stuff that is still paralleled here today, which is unfortunate um, with one of your example movies, especially because it's dealing with gentrification in a lot of ways too. Yeah. That's that another, too. like main aspect of that film. Yeah. But I mean, again, the protagonist is like a 12 year old uh, black kid um, who, does win at the end, which is great. Yeah, people under the series. I mean, we talked. That was one of our horror specials last year. We talked about it with uh, Professor Mike Dillon. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, certainly a lot, that makes for an easy double feature with uh, some of the films that we've seen more recently. Um, but yeah, just a good movie. Mm-hmm. Want to hear more about that? Find our episode from last year. Talk about people under the series. We go like way in depth on the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason, what's uh, what's next for you? Uh, you know, uh, th- there's a lot of great, uh, you know, female antagonists um, in horror films, um, you know, but for, for me, you know, I wanted to find something beyond the the basic and the normal, something that also added some other issues, you know, um, uh, and I would go to Japanese horror and I would go to Takashi Miike's audition. Nice. Um, you know, it's it's it, you know, it followed the ring, which was in 1998. And then, you know, the same Japanese company wanted to make more of those kind of films. And I don't think they knew what kind of film Takashi Miike was going to make. But it, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it basically, basically tells the tale of a middle aged widow who, alongside his producer friend, stages kind of a, a mock audition to find him a new wife. And he gets a lot more than he expected. And, you know, the theme not only. It, it, it does is this character um, played by uh, get, 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 get this right? It's Ahi Shina um, who plays Asim, uh, Asimi, um, and uh, and not only is she amazing, but listen, the film deals with really tough issues. You know, things that are you know definitely pertain today: misogyny, sexism, abuse mm-hmm. of power, objectification. You know, things that 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 are way prevalent um, and and dealt with it, you know, way early on. Um, but you also have a, a rich character who's, you know, who, who's got a, a troubling backstory of child abuse and child abuse and repression and oppression. And it's 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 quite a performance. It's quite a transformative performance because she's very unassuming and then really, you know, comes into her own and and uh, and you never know where the movie's kind of going to go. And I, I think the mix of that kind of disturbing, haunting performance alongside such strong issues that female uh, that the, the female issues that that they have to, you know, 
tough things that they have to deal with that are put right into the heart of this movie, I think makes it, you know, really prevalent and something that uh, that shines a light on things that don't get necessarily shined on. And Mike is the man to do it. I mean, not only he obviously he did other horror stuff, you know, One Last Call, did a, a segment in Three Extremes. But I mean, he also brought genius to like a samurai film with 13 Assassins and and period work with Harry Carey, Death of the Samurai. So his his work on that movie, even though, again, he's not a female director, I think touched upon a lot of things that females um, can relate to and maybe have gone through. And there's a there's a, there's a, a really strong current of that. He, he's a very extreme journeyman. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's one where like. I haven't been like I need to watch that again. Like <laughs> no, nope. gets to me. You don't need to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> like like maybe someday, but it's not. But I'm not been. I haven't been like you know what I'm in the mood for. <laughs> it was it was a great college watching experience, like with dorm mates, and we're just like you know we're watching it on like a 13 inch laptop screen and then you know something a bag moves and we're just like what the fuck is happening here yeah if like you know if you're going in blind on that film like if you if you thought like red eye was a great bait and switch audition is the ultimate bait and switch movie (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm gonna go uh with my next pick here and i could not get out of this podcast without mentioning attack the block joe cornish's sci-fi oh yeah kid kid adventure horror film (laughs) i guess if you want to call it so good Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge fan of Attack the Block. It's one of my favorite movies. It was on my best of the decade top list. The the work done there to not only create like a very Amblin esque slash John Carpenter esque horror film, I think, is very effective. But it's also a film where John Boyega, you know, pre Star Wars, directly addresses what's going on by saying maybe the government like planted these monsters here to take out black boys in England. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's the one scene where it's like, yeah, this is the theme um, being stated out loud by the character. But at the same time, sometimes you need to hammer that home because not people, not everybody's going to just see exactly what's, uh, what's being presented here. They're not going to read the subtext mm-hmm. of uh, just ideas. You can take away from things beyond how great the filmmaking is or how enjoyable the movie is, which the film very much passes in both areas. Uh, so yeah, I'm huge on Attack the Block. I think it 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 also manages to kind of delve into these the this subject matter pretty well as far as giving you this kind of lower income apartment complex and the you know the people that reside in there and what it means to have right. them be the ones that are fighting against you know an alien invasion that's taking place. Yeah, and certainly like one of my favorite lines from from at the end of the movie is like. Um, are these boys attacking or whatever? And, you know, Doctor Who says, no, they're my neighbors. You know what I mean? So it kind of just like rounds everything out Dr. of, uh, yeah, since, yeah. yeah of, of community. Jody, Jody, Jody Whitaker. Yeah. yeah. Great, great, uh, score too. Oh yeah. Basement Jacks Basement is the score Jacks. for that film. Yeah. Uh, love that score. I imported it. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get enough of it. <laughs> uh, Brandon, what's, uh, what's the next, what are we on here? Is this our fourth one? The four. Yeah. All right. Four? Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to go, uh, back. The same way I was with the Argento, and I guess I'm going to call out since it might not uh, surprise. Uh, there's so much diversity covers such a wide range of, of stuff because hey, it's diverse. But uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, All right. like I mean that that movie is a sexual exploration through all sorts of things in the like in the like and it's been such a stuff freedom releasing kind of explore your weirdness, explore who you are, find. You know, everything's okay for like the queer community. Like, the, I mean, this thing has allowed people to become themselves, be themselves through the midnight screenings. It's all in the film, but a lot of people have found comfort 
friendships, relationships, and themselves through the legacy of this as a cult midnight movie. Um, cool. And it just it, it goes beyond just the film itself. But I mean, if you've ever seen it at midnight, holy crap! And done right, like I I've seen it a couple times. But like one of my favorite experiences uh, after I graduated high school, I took a trip to New York. And I saw it in the village at a midnight screening with people performing it and stuff. And it was just revelatory. Like it just a new found like open doors, like in my own life, just like of respect and learning things. And it's just to see people just allowed to embrace themselves and just come out and boom in a night. And just because of this, this little musical film has done that and it made it, it showed it's okay. It teaches the main characters that, Hey, this is all good. And it just, uh, introduces a lot of people to a lot of things in a fun and uh genre uh genreized kind of way and i think it's a really important film in you know in film history for especially for diversity mm -hmm. sure mm -hmm. jimmy but uh what's next for you a zombie movie but the girl with all the gifts you have a lead girl yeah uh, and i cannot pronounce her name so sanita I, I I can never pronounce her name, so I'm, I apologize to the lead. And this, but it what a powerful movie! What an interesting movie! Wouldn't it? It's hard to do zombie films really well, especially now when it's been done. We have Walking Dead, we have the Romero films, we have every Tom, Dick, and Harry has made a zombie movie. They're they're pretty popular, but this was a very unique and beautifully done film. I it's a uh, she's great. Uh, Obviously, it's not just, you know, it's not it's not so much about the race per se, but, you know, having a young girl, especially uh, an African-American girl or a black girl as a lead. I don't know. I, I really like that movie a lot. And I think it's it's one that I hope more people see. It's such an underrated little film. I know it got review wise. People loved it, but I don't think it's a movie that a lot of people saw. Well, it got pushed around a lot. I remember it got delayed a number of times. Yeah. It, never, it never really got a proper theatric. It, like, it got one, but it was very low-key compared to yeah. when it could have come out. Because I do think it could have oh, capitalized wait, low on key something. Oh, wait, low-key was in that? Yeah, low-key. Yeah, Tom Hiddleston, <laughs> he, was, he, oh. he, played, he, he voiced most of the zombies. It was a big deal. Uh, but, God, but he was one of the hungries. But no, I, I I am a fan of that film. I do think it does what it's doing quite effectively. It, it came out around the same time The Last of Us, the video game, came out, which tackles a lot of yeah. similar ideas. So it was like, oh, okay, so there's like a cinematic version already. Um, <laughs> so we don't need to make a video. We don't need to make an inevitable video game movie that's going to be terrible. I mean, that's just a you know a win-win. But they're making a HBO show, so what do I know? Um, but, uh, but no, yeah, Girl with All the Gifts, that's a good one. Uh, Abe, what's uh, what's next? Yeah, uh, staying in the theme with um, youth and horror <laughs> uh, that I've, I've uh, that we were still on with the last track. My next one is Let the Right One In. This is not the remake, the American remake. Of, yeah, because uh, they have different titles. They exactly. have different titles. Yeah, but you know, some people were like, "Well, they're both in English." It's like not technically, but um, what I like about this one a lot is. It's a vampire movie with kids, but not one where they're like, you know, Victorian, look like Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt. What? Uh, yeah, no, they, they really don't, Jimmy. You should see it. It's it's Damn. very restrained. Never um, heard but, of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the other thing is like the 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 aspect of this that I find very fascinating is that yes, it's international, but then 
it's a spin on a horror movie in which it's like it's also kind of like a coming of age love story and i was like this is interesting to to pack all into one movie um but you know it i do find that it works like the, the horror is not very it's not all the time and omnipresent but when it's there it's just like oh wow that was that's pretty that's pretty terrible like you know bullies your head's not coming back kind of thing mm-hmm. you can but, uh, yeah. you can argue as far as tapping into more of the diversity aspect to it there are things about ellie that well, que- question the gender identity of the character exactly as well. i was gonna say that too which is like to some degree when you're watching this movie you're not actually sure if that child is a he she it so that that certainly is there too Aaron. so good point mm-hmm yeah, no, let, no, let the right one in. It's, it's one of my favorite vampire films. Daywalker. Thank you, Daywalker. And I mean, the, re- the Matt Reeves remake, I, I mean, I prefer the original, but I do think there's a lot of good stuff in that remake as far as, you know, re- horror remakes go. Uh, I think it, it's an, it does an efficient job for sure. Yeah, I was, great... was going to say, like, yeah, the remake is, it's not a, it's not an over-the-top American remake, which is good. Yeah. Richard Jenkins is very good at it. He's he's great in everything he does. He's gonna be it's he's good. gonna be cast in my next movie. I, I told that to him once. I was like, "You're really good uh. at this movie." <laughs> 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 um, all right, Jason, what's next for you? Well, following in the footsteps, I think of Brandon's, you know, Phantasm Three and and Jimmy's uh, Girl with All the Gifts. For me, you know, if we're talking about you know a singular performance that I think is amazing. I would have to go to the 2009 film, The Collector, um, and specifically oh. the role of The Collector played by yeah. D- Dominican actor Juan Fernandez. It's, I would, not only is that role, not, not, that role is so tasty, it's it's on par as far as I'm concerned with like Jason and Mike Mark, people, characters who don't say anything, but just mm-hmm. freak you out. They're such mm-hmm. really disturbing body movements and, just slight tilts of the head or various eye acting there was because he wasn't allowed to speak it's it's such a a nuanced creepy amazing performance and uh and it's you know juan's been doing it doing movies for a while you know he was the baddie in some early films like salvador crocodile dundee 2 arachnophobia which you (laughs) which i know could be coming up later on this podcast but um yeah quick tease juan fernandez but uh but that particular role it, it had such an effect on me that when I saw the second film, I knew immediately it wasn't Juan, not just from the physicality because they had cast a stuntman, but just from the movements, from the looks, from the body language. It was so it was like night and day. There's a creepiness that Juan brings to that performance. So for me, for my money, The Collector 2009, and I, I, I would also say go to Why So Blue because I do have an article up there where I talked to Juan for for Halloween um, one year. And I we remember went, that one, yeah. Yeah, we went into great detail about the character, um, you know, talking about all of the choices he made, intentions, how he wore two sets of contact lenses that left him blind during shooting and, mm. and amazing, just amazing stuff. But, wow. but I, I, I had seen that they were talking about, or, or Josh Stewart had posted something about maybe do the Collector 3 shooting or something. The if Collected. They, yeah, if they don't cast Juan, it's a huge mistake. He mm-hmm. is a huge part of why that first movie is so good. What if they casted Stephen Merchant, you know, six foot seven uh, <laughs> tall guy? That's also pretty scary. He's all, He doesn't have to say anything. <laughs> they could be brothers. That's, that's scary. No, yeah, I mean... We're hitting a lot of greatest hits for some of us here as far as yeah. <laughs> favorite I, movies that happen to fall into these categories. I, I, 
I love the the way that you described the collector at one point, which is you're like, it's actually a great cat and mouse movie as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's, as far as the movie goes itself, yes. It's, it's yes. what if cat and mouse, but gorier. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, does, <laughs> it does its job. Uh, what if Tom skinned Jerry alive? <laughs> it's called itchy and scratchy. Yeah, he's like, yeah. Don't, they, don't they have that? Simpsons did it. Wait, now that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, there's um, Simpsons. All right, my next one. What do I want to choose? We got two more. I'm gonna go. I'm not even like the biggest fan, but I want. I want to point this out because of just the the, the fact that this franchise is really. Actually, there's another franchise, by the way, um, that falls into this category: the Purge franchise. Mm. Um, oh yeah. For sure. Which were the first three were all directed by James DeMonico. Uh, he only wrote the first Purge, as in the movie called The First Purge, not the entry. <laughs> but um, well, that was directed by Gerard McMurray, who uh, who, who, who is a, a black filmmaker. Um, and then that film directly stars uh, a more a more black cast than the previous films do. But they it all it very much falls into that for each of the films as far as what it's trying to go after, as far as the central the central like and it's neat how the series has progressed because if you, it you know the the high concept of law, uh, crime is legal for 24 hours that's like okay that's neat and the first film is just kind of this not great home invasion movie that has a neat premise for an excuse to make it a home invasion movie mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. the second third and and uh, fourth film they really open up the world more right they give you more of context of how this place functions what have you but as it's doing that and as it's giving you frank grillo kicking ass and all that stuff it's also getting into like the nitty-gritty of the politics that james demonico seems to be mm-hmm. very intent on addressing especially with the purge election year which couldn't be more blunt as far as what it's trying to accomplish right. uh, yeah. with, with, with the, the with the poster featuring i believe a red hat that just says the purge election year on it um so it the the films themselves as okay as I think they are, I do think though I was I was a bigger fan of Election Year because I finally stopped questioning the logic of the world and I was just like right. okay I'll just I'll just run with it because fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think That's pretty good. But as far as a concept goes and a filmmaker goes to the lengths of in establishing a certain kind of social commentary that happens to blend with a very unique high concept, um, it it's effective and it does some. It calls into question some very obvious things that are happening in our society that just happen to be heightened as opposed to implausible, um, which is uh, kind of scary when you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, this, I think the second and third ones really remind me of like Escape from New York knockoffs kind oh, of sure. with the yeah. Purge, which is a cool direction to go. But yeah, yeah. totally agree with you there. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a major franchise, so I guess now there's four jobs. We're doing yeah. it, guys. Four. We're, we're, yeah, sussing, we're sussing these started out. Started with two. Yeah. Now there's four. What's going, on with, the pu- what, what's going on with the Puppet Masters, Brandon? Are there any Puppet Masters with uh, oh, Black Filmmakers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Puppet Masters and uh, oh, what's the other? Demonic Toys. <laughs> Ooh, that was good. And then Puppet Masters versus Demonic Toys. Yeah. Oh, is it, were you calling on me? And, no, and I, I didn't said, yet. I was waiting for... Okay. Uh, so waiting for you to calm down on the demonic toys. Okay. <laughs> so now, now let's hear from you. What's what's your what's your last one? All right, here? I'm surprised. I still have like a couple things on the list here, but I'm gonna go with a film that was um, started. It was laughed upon, then kind of opened up to reanalyzed, and now it's considered like it's considered like a, a gay cinema classic. And uh, oh. really, deep under toes is Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two: Freddy's Revenge. 
Like I was thinking that one. This film has done a 180 in the eyes of people. There's a documentary on just it now uh, about Mark Patton, but uh, this was written. I mean, its writer had a gay uh, a gay coming out story as subtext in the film, and like Mark Patton, the actor who plays Jesse, the lead in the film, and then the costume designer kind of understood it in there, but they, you know, they weren't, they're just like, okay, let's play this. But they said that everybody in the in the crew unintentionally like, like embellished it and made it more to the forefront. And uh, just looking at this story, it's like, it makes it even deeper of a story. It's, it's still pretty are, goofily are, are you saying there was excess in an 80s movie? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what? But... We love and, that. And, we love and, and for years, this movie got crapped on because it didn't follow canon that wasn't invented till after the movie happened. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's an interesting look now and kind of a a, a unique way to tell a, a slasher story, especially Freddy's Dream World. And and there's a lot of <clears throat> I've I've noticed with the Elm Street movies and the crowds they attract a lot more diverse crowd go leans, especially in the LGBTQ plus community leans towards the Elm streets more than the other franchises. But, um, <clears throat> this one really has it there and there's been a lot, st- it became a film to be studied, analyzed, and it was a laughing stock for many years. And a lot of things too, I think, you know, cultural changes have led us to not laugh at that anymore and kind of respect it a bit more. But I, I will say some of the executions goofy. You got to give it that, that bedroom putting clothes away scene, Crazy, but Jesse, the the story of Jesse is an interesting one and one that people look deeper into now and study, and it's like heralded um, more so than it ever was. It had a resurgence, but we're gonna. And I want his hat from that bedroom changing scene. I know I tweeted about it and and Instagrammed about it, and people were like, "Oh yeah, yeah." yeah. I'm like, I'm serious. I want that hat. Well, just, so, just ask Mark. Maybe he'll. he'll <clears> maybe I will. I met him years ago. He's a <laughs> that dude is. Amazing, like the nicest guy. Like, very sweet. Very yeah. nice. See guy. if he's on cameo. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, but he was actually when he was he was gay. He was out and gay, but like his agent and stuff when he was shooting movies. Like after Elm Street two, he quit Hollywood because they would go stop him from going to gay nightclubs. They were stalking yeah. him, and then he would go to his apartment and like mess it up and be like, "This is what a straight boy looks like, lives like." And he couldn't he couldn't take their forcing him into a closet when he didn't want to be. And so he just he moved to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. He opened an art guy. He's like an art gallery there. And yeah, he disappeared for years and years. And then they did the Elm Street documentary and found him. Um, but yeah. And he, now you have that you had mentioned Scream Queen, which, mm-hmm. Scream Queen, yes. which is on uh, Shutter. So yeah. it's worth mm-hmm. checking out. Yeah, it's a story. And yeah, the movie, it's now an important film. It's crazy how some of these things happen. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Jimmy, what's your last film here? Well, you know, I, I was I was kind of going for a couple of things, and uh, I, one that stood out, another uh, franchise film. I'm mm. a fan of these movies, except for the last couple ones, kind of here and there, especially the last one I hated. But come on, Paranormal Activity, the marked one. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, I, I, I yes, someone was going to mention that. I thought it was going to come up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's funny because I remember seeing it. It's so different from the rest in, in a lot of ways. It, you know, unlike the other movies, it's more there's more kind of a, a darker element. But it's Chris know, Landon, I, right? Yeah, it's Chris Landon. So there, I really enjoyed that film. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was 
it was a nice change of pace from what we'd already seen with it's 80. one of the best ones of those movies those that series Abs- has Absolutely. a hell of a third act turn like has I, a hell, like yeah it, it has one of the best endings of that like i'm a big yeah. paranormal activity guy for some Me reason too. that fr- I, too, I, yeah. I was really i was so like into the continuity like i know brandon you're bigger on like saw the continuity mm-hmm. of the paranormal activity franchise is like I need to know where this goes. Like, the, honestly, the only one I really, really, really didn't didn't like was I think the fourth one. The fourth the, one. The last yeah. one was terrible. the fourth one. The last one just like, all right, yeah. I guess we're ending this. But those, yeah. first, those first, basically the first three and the marked ones are, yeah. are solid movies. Mm-hmm. No, the third, the third one I think is a third fantastic film. Yeah, the third oh, one yeah. Is, yeah. It's, it's really so, good. It's, it's, it's very inventive. Like that's when what the uh, the so the. Um, Catfish. Guy. It's the catfish. Yeah, they used to came catfish, in, and, yeah. and they're like, "All right, let's stop with the pretending it's fake <clears> thing <throat> and just really get wild with the ideas for the kind." But we're not even talking about the movie. Let's talk about the marked ones. Marked yeah, ones is Mark great. Ones. Like it, it's a yeah. lot of fun. It yeah, it really falls into like genre traps more as far as like, all right, we know what we're doing, but what if we had like guys with shotguns shooting fake fake ghosts or something every now and then? Like it, mm-hmm. it really gets right. fun with it. That's <laughs> great. Good stuff. Good stuff. Abe, what's the what's the last one here on your list? Well, the last one here is, in terms of diversity, I was uh, trying to think of I guess, films that you don't necessarily traditionally think of as perhaps diverse, and it is a movie in which um, the protagonist is somebody that you're rooting for all the way, but they have a disability, and it is Hush. Um, it's a oh, movie okay, in that's which a great pick. You yeah. have, yeah, like, you know, we typically think of, like, people who are not able to speak in horror movies as... A, they're being killed, or like they're in a cell somewhere deep down in the dungeon, nobody can hear them scream, or you know they're being frozen in time, or Freddy's gonna kill them with like, you know, whatever he's gonna do. Um, but for this one, it was very fascinating that you know husband and wife duo Flanagan and and uh, Siegel, they made a heroine that is deaf and mute, and it adds a lot of cleverness to the movie. But again, how many? movies in general aside from like documentaries like sound and fury are there people who are deaf or mute in in the in the uh main protagonist uh there is a there I, I want to recommend you there's a, a i i liked it a lot a uh, movie called mute witness from 1995 he didn't know it but alec guinness it was his last film <laughs> he filmed some footage for this director and he ended up using it in this movie he had no idea but yeah, if you like that, yeah, Mute Witness, that one. Is this a, is this a follow-up to Witness, where they follow one of the other no, cops no. from the same precinct? And, uh, Dude, yeah. the, the first 20 minutes of Mute Witness, I it's was fucking terrified. Yeah, nails. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You are, like, yeah. edge of your seat. Yeah. Then it goes is... into more typical. Oh, I was like, going to say, what happens in the other 70 village? minutes of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not as more, terrified. Yeah, it, it goes into more of a crime thriller. As opposed to straight horror, but yeah, the first—it's still a good movie. It's yeah, still it's an excellent expert, film. expert filmmaking, yeah. especially in that first twenty minutes. Like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason but, knows. Mm-hmm. I love you with this. <laughs> that's one I, I don't know, so I'll check that out. But no, Hush is a great pick, Gabe. That's a, that's a, a especially good way to tackle diversity because yeah, you don't. And I mean, 
I know Kate Siegel is not actually deaf and mute, but at the same time, representation for you know people of people with disabilities or what have you, that's mm-hmm. a good call because I can't think of many offhand that really incorporate their quality. Well, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre when you have the guy in the wheelchair. I mean, I'm right, the Thirteenth Part Two. Well, like, part well two. <laughs> I, I, if we're gonna really quickly go on that, I'm sure there's more. Oh, Silver Bullet. Yeah, no, I was gonna say Q. Monkey shines. Monkey shines. Yes, Monkey Q deals with with autism. Yes, cute, so, yeah, very much so. And it, yeah. it's beautifully done. Really, really fantastic yeah. film. So Yeah, Vicenzo Natale's cube, yeah. That's the Yeah. It really it does incorporate that element. So yeah, I mean I, mm-hmm. it's not me denying this, but uh, but you're very aware that yes, you don't see things like autism or deaf and mute people in horror films that much, despite how great of a conceit is, but obviously yes, you don't want to you need filmmakers that aren't gonna make that exploitative, so that's something yeah. rare to come by, let alone filmmakers that are it's it's hard for them to say I want to do this and I'm definitely going to do a great job at it so I can understand why you're not embracing that more often but when it does happen I'm glad that there are good examples out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a couple. Abe, you just went. Jason, what's your next yeah. pick? <laughs> um, uh, well, shout out to older older flicks, uh, a couple of older flicks as well, like maybe Freaks, Todd Browning's Freaks, uh, which I think was, is a great one, and then maybe older maybe, flicks for fans. Yeah, and then maybe Blackula, <laughs> you know, Scream, Blackula, yes. Scream, Scream, Blackula, Scream. Black- but I'm going to go with a more modern one just because, you know, I think the audience would like that more. I, you know, for me, uh, I, I really enjoyed the uh, – and, and for be, you know, beyond the fact that it was just shot there, but the, the Rec series, which was oh, – uh, Oh, you yeah. Know, oh, shot, yeah. Yeah, shot, it was a Spanish uh, found footage flick. Um, uh, now, it's interesting is the two guys who directed that movie, they were, uh, they were just guys who did short films and stuff. So it was, it was interesting to sort of see their, um, their gradual progression into making Rec, Rec 2, and then they each kind of tackled one in three and four. But what's also interesting is they do kind of, besides just being a movie that was shot, let's say, in Barcelona, um, they did add – Besides uh, the um, uh, the idea of maybe zombies or or, or uh, a virus being you know transmitted and and to, to others, they did add a religious aspect that I thought was fascinating. That, that the the, uh, the Americanized version quarantine I didn't didn't really want to touch, um, which I think is key. And then it, into the second movie, it's it's really steeped. It's very like apparent. Yeah. 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 Which I think which I think comes with the fact that it is a Spanish found footage film. Um, yeah. Uh, Part three is a little more, a little more goofy, a little more weird, yeah. like a little more fun. I, I, I mean, like part three. I know people yeah. are against it. But I like I it for it what it's fun. trying to do, but it's yeah. not right. nearly as good as the no, first two. It, yeah. No, it's right. third place. Yeah. Yeah. And then I four, never, I've never, I've yet to see the fourth one. Well, four just kind of brings back this, you know, a couple of the original people. So you go, oh, that's what happened to that person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're all clever, but I think, I think, it, I think it shows the power of their storytelling, the fact that those movies ended up making four sequels and Quarantine only ended up doing one movie and that was it kind of thing. There's a straight-to-video quarantine. Was there a straight-to-video quarantine? It's, like, yeah, it's yeah, on an airplane, right? I didn't watch it. I believe it's on, I believe it's on like, a, I believe it's... <laughs> I just, I remember seeing it. It's the Charles Band of Quarantine movies? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think it's like Quarantine Terminal or something, and it's set like on an airplane, I believe. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Quarantine 2, Terminal. We all also, with a quarantine, the problem <laughs> with Quarantine compared to Rec is I think found footage movies have a lot better effect when they're using actors you're not completely familiar with. And the Quarantine right. had Jay Hernandez, Jennifer Carpenter, and I'm like, yeah. I need to buy into some unfamiliarity with with the people when I watched I, I, I was annoyed that like the the final shot of cords of wreck is the trailer for quarantine like, and the like, poster and the poster yes it's like <laughs> all right like you, you made it yes. <laughs> and but like yeah. by all accounts quarantine's not terrible it's just more like I mean I yeah, this exists already 
this exists already. Like, it's, it's fine. Like, it's, it's, it's yeah. yes, yeah. It's it's entertaining for what yeah, it wreck, is. Wreck and Wreck too. Good good call as far as the kind of religious iconography it's it's bringing into there. But also those are just scary movies. Like those are mm-hmm. those are hard for me to rewatch because like. I mean, I have fun with horror movies, but those are actually scary. Like, I'm gonna be up at night. <laughs> like, I, uh, yeah, I, I need my I need my sleep. You know, like, I mean, Wreck Wreck to... is on the the highest tier for found footage. Like, they're oh, like, for, yeah. it's oh, like yeah. for me, I think probably the first two are like the best found footage movies for me. Oh, they and stand very strong in that they're category. They're very no very good. Yeah. Even over the Moon Spider movie of Apollo 14. Apollo 18, Jimmy. 18. That's 18. One, of, oh, one, of Abe's out, one of Abe's out now favorites. <laughs> yeah, really, that, but... I remember I had to see that in the theater. That was like painful to sit through. Oh my god. Yeah. I think the best oh part my... was like the Strobe photo scene. That's probably the only thing. Oh that's... my god. That so means stupid. that you remember things from it because I can't. So. I can't remember anything. <laughs> I just remembered They're in space. spiders or something. I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, all right. <laughs> I, I'm trying. I want to decide what my last thing's gonna be here because I got a couple that I haven't mentioned. Oh, Halloween Resurrection with Buster Rhymes. Buster there you Rhymes. go. And Sean Patrick there. Thomas. There you go. Woo! <laughs> Only Woo! you would. That That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put this. And it deals more... with mentally ill at the beginning. It's really yeah. There you go. In a more general sense, I guess I'll do this as my pick. Uh, there's a lot of horror TV uh, that is a, that i don't know what it's not allowed but it's more of they've just embraced the fact that you can do more as far as casting mm-hmm. and so by by default or whatever you want to call it the walking dead is a very diverse show uh regardless of how much you like the walking dead i like it enough where i've podcasted and written about it for a decade but i mean it's <laughs> I've, I've never i've never called it called it quite the best show on tv because i don't think it is but it is a show that's really very much embraced diversity throughout the series and without calling into into question it's not as you know you have characters like michonne or tyrese or dude t-dog lasted a T- long time t-dog <laughs> <laughs> among others uh lenny james is morgan in that show and fear the walking dead um uh, and uh, the they're characters that are just existing as they are and I've always appreciated that about the series. And I mean, Robert Kirkman in the comic books has done this as well. I mean, some of the characters originate from there. But on a on a general level, the show has been very much about like, hey, we can just cast whoever because it's the end of the world, and we're not. It, it's somewhat it's somewhat idealist in that sense where it's not going into kind of the racial divide that there very much would be if there was an apocalypse today. Mm-hmm. So it, as much as that show is about embraces its nihilism in terms of everybody's going to die it's still somewhat optimistic about the fact that well we can all get along though on a on a skin color level i guess like which is which is kind of odd when you think about it that said along with walking dead you have shows like american horror story true blood obviously and currently lovecraft country yeah lovecraft Lovecraft country is very obvious because it's it is very much embracing the fact that you have specifically black characters involving themselves in pulp genre tropes that you know, our general, I mean, Lovecraft, very much not a friend of the black man. Um, it's ah. Exactly the opposite. So the idea of, your, of kind of black, black society appropriating Lovecraft for their own means to make a show on that end. I, I find that to be, you know, that's a very fun aspect of that show in addition to just what it's doing on a, hey, we're making a horror show on HBO kind of level as well. 
So I wanted to shout out TV in general because I do think there's a lot of really cool options when you want yeah. to talk about diversity in horror. I'm glad you mentioned some of Certainly. those because I was yeah. I was actually thinking about American Horror Story anyways because, you know, they do a pretty good job of that. I mean, Ryan Murphy mm-hmm. is obviously like he's, yeah. he's, he's dipping his toe in a, in a lot of things when it comes to how can I not just make shows about <laughs> – cis straight white people <laughs> like yeah, there's, a lot of, there's a there's a lot of and for good reason by on him but i mean there's a lot yeah, that you can absolutely. look at with, with the the media that he's involved himself in over the years um all right well i think we've made a pretty comprehensive list here of uh, movies and i know there's ones there's like as and i should explain i mean there's a lot there's a lot and like <laughs> as always when we do these i think we tend to avoid some of the more obvious picks because yes we could talk about night of the living dead or get out or any i mean we brought up Candyman, but any number of things that really like lean into exactly the oose. topic but it what oose from jordan oose. peele oose oh oose <laughs> <Yeah>. oose. <laughs> oose with the with the umlaut over it yes that one mm-hmm. um jordan peele's german expressionism film uh but yeah no there, i mean there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of you know very trendy picks that we could go with but you like you likely already hear about those so it's good to it's good to have you guys here to kind of be, get into some obscure territory let alone really examining the idea of diversity because yes we can obviously talk about black people in cinema but it's also great to talk about things like yes the, the people with disabilities in cinema or you know people who are on the lgbtq spectrum um and how that factors into the diversity of cinema or you know asian american not asian americans asian people in general i mean there's there's a lot of areas to go into i, I was trying to fit in tigers are not afraid a film that i really liked from a couple that's years a, ago yeah that's a, um, yeah but there's just there's a lot out there that we can delve into and i'm sure we can do that in separate episodes down the line because there is a lot of ways to branch this topic off but with all that in mind, I think we've covered this as much as we're going to do it for this first of our many horror specials uh, for October 2020. Um, I will say right now, next week's episode is going to be focused on Friday the 13th, which is celebrating its 40th anniversary. Woo! 40th anniversary! Woo! I need to watch those. I haven't seen them. You haven't seen them this week. Yeah, that's true. That's that's more there. That's more like it. Good right one, there. Jason. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk a bit about that in the outside the recording of what we're going to do exactly but where i think we're mainly going to focus on the initial film and then obviously we'll reference the series as a whole in general too but that is going to be the topic for next week's episode so stay tuned for that but until then where can we find more of your guys's work online brandon peters well first off i say this is i enjoyed this conversation it's a great thing and i think that with the diversity um <laughs> the diversity thing is important in film and television because i think as much as some people want to dismiss it I think it's an important educational tool for all of us and that that's how a lot of people learn and that's how a lot of people find comfort. And when they can finally relate to something they're watching, aside from, you know, meeting that person that helps you to understand and learn a different perspective on life. I think film and television are incredibly important. Our art's important and the diversity in it is equally important because that's how we learn. That's how we, we can watch these scenarios play out and learn ourselves without and change and stuff like that so don't mean to get deep but i think it's no, very thank thank you dave well, that, that, was, that was very good no it's awesome uh, <laughs> and, I, and i picked that that topic and that was exactly that's yeah. a very poignant way of explaining why i picked it so yeah. bravo mm-hmm. but, good, good, uh, good pick yeah if you want less quality stuff than that that little blah um i'm brandon 4k uhd <laughs> on twitter and instagram i have a new podcast the brandon peters show uh brandonpetersshow.com and there's a Facebook page for it and a YouTube page for it. Please go to the YouTube page for it because things like things, fun things like Aaron and I shooting a trailer for a podcast episode. <laughs> that's, that's really fun, but I'll be doing some horror stuff this month. Um, right now, the first one you're going to hear is uh, the bird with the crystal plumage with uh, the blogging Banshee, 
Molly Henry, who's also contributed to Pangoria and other outlets, but uh, terrific guests, terrific movie, terrific conversation. So very cool. Jimmy O, where can people find more of you online? Well, you can find me at joeblow.com. You can find me at head.com. You can find me now a little bit at welivebad.com. We live entertainment. You can also, I, I, you know, speaking of diversity, I, I really have to recommend a show. Uh, one of the episodes of Sound Scary, the one I mentioned, the Antebellum, is available for free on YouTube. So you can, mm. it's an hour discussion of specifically race and 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 culture and and why they chose to tell that story and how they approached it i highly recommend it. it's a great and it's a great interview good discussion to, i listened and I'll, I'll link that in the show notes as well please do yeah i was real proud of that one so yeah so of course sounds scary on video space and a few of episodes on that amazon prime so very cool yeah jason coleman where can people mm-hmm. find more of you yeah, occasionally I, I I not as much so these days, but occasionally I do put something on whysoblue.com. So love why so blue and all the great content over there. So definitely mm-hmm. check that out for my stuff, branded stuff, Aaron's stuff. Um, also flicks for fans that I run with the great Jimmy O. Um, it's on uh, Instagram, hey, Twitter, Facebook at flicks for f o r fans. Um, you can check that out. And uh, also there's a YouTube channel, which we've got stuff on. Uh, we do have a video of the 40th anniversary of Friday the 13th, an immersive experience we did right before the pandemic uh, um, hit. Um, and we do have a video of it. So those of you who missed it, you can come with Jimmy, Jimmy O and I and, and uh, do that immersive experience. And uh, the, one of the last things I did was I did a career interview with Adam Egoyen, who uh, just had a movie release called Guest of Honor. And we go through mm-hmm. two parts of a career interview with uh, Adam Egoyen. And that's a collaboration of Why So Blue and Flicks for Fans. So great mm-hmm. content there. Check it out. Two Canadians yucking it up. What a yep. concept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing? Wearing toques? absolutely and eating back bacon you got it (laughs) abe how about you where can people find more of you find more friends over my instagram abe.blue and twitter.com slash walrus moose hashtag ramblin bramblin ramblin bramblin i like it i like it it's very you did you say bamblin (laughs) yeah it doesn't that was too good it doesn't matter Oh, um, you can find more of me at thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing for We Live Entertainment for movie reviews, Why So Blue for Blu-ray reviews, and occasionally on Variety for some filmmaker interviews. I'm also on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. You can find all the other episodes of this podcast out at uh, iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Yeah, we're just ever on the web. Just Google exactly. us. Yeah, these we're are bonus episodes. You, you you tend to know where you can find us, but I, I will mention that on, on Audio Boom we can create fun playlists, and so I have all of the horror episodes we've done over the years are in a horror th- uh, playlist on there. So if you want to look back to hear more of what we said about various topics throughout the years, you can find all of those episodes there, specifically on Audio, Audio Boom, uh, for wow. in a fairly fairly a, easy manner. Yeah, the, the out now Pinterest is still my favorite though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're we're coming up with fall cookie themes coming up uh, soon. And, yeah. and talking about diverse, actually, yeah. one of the one of the old podcasts I remember we did was on specifically on Lethal Ladies and talking yes. about yes. really strong mm-hmm. female performances. That's a great one to check out as well in their archive. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, yeah. And I'll and I'll be in the show notes here. I'll be sure to link to all the the back episodes and uh, that that playlist is very easy to access. And you can find just a lot of really cool stuff that we like talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with all of that said, uh, thank you, Brandon, Jimmy, and Jason for joining Abe and I for this bonus episode. Thank here. you, Brandon, Jimmy, and Jason. Hey. hey. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <I like it. laughs> 
But I uh, I do look forward to talking about Friday the 13th next week. Uh, but until then, uh, that's going to be for this week's episode. So until then, so long. And happy Halloween! How do you like that, man? I don't even have to study for next week. It's so awesome! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>